play video games. Fortnite. Overwatch. Minecraft. Cool math games. Schoolwork. Watching movies. Watching TV. Mickey Mouse cartoons. Peppa Pig. Social media. FaceTiming. YouTube. Welcome to the Technopanic Podcast. Living and learning in the age of screen time. Here is your host, my mom, Kristen Turner, and her friend, Ian O'Byrne. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Techno Panic Podcast. My name is Ian O'Byrne. I'm joined, as always, by my host and friend, Kristen Turner. This week, we spent a little bit of time chatting back and forth and talking about a TV episode that we watched. It was a Diane Sawyer reporting special. Diane Sawyer does a bunch of these episodes where she'll look at specific issues this one talked about screen time and really, and it touched the nerve with the two of us. So Kristen, can you explain what you thought as you first started watching it? What was your takeaway at the top level? So first of all, they say that this episode is a hopefully starting a national conversation about the screens we all love. Um, and the more that I watch the episode, the more I realize we've been talking about these things on our season one of Techno Panic. And I felt like the episode actually provided a nice summary of some of the topics that we've been talking about all semester. So it might be nice for us to kind of take a pause here, go through the episode and think about it together. So our screens dividing our families is really kind of the basis of the episode. Uh, it was an hour and 20 minute episode and you can watch it online or on demand. And we will definitely put the link to the online version in our, our show notes. Um, but then they also ask other questions that we've been asking as researchers, like what are the effects on babies of these screens? And, and we see all throughout the episode, little children with the screens, and then you take the device away and they're crying. And so there are lots of questions about that. They also go into issues of privacy agreements. And then really what they want to do is to provide families solutions to hold on to lives we want to live together. So I think that the overall purpose of this uh, special that Diane Sawyer put together is, is a good one. It's exploring research, what we do and what we don't know, and trying to, to provide solutions. I think that was one of the, the challenges is, I mean, I agree with you, is it was a way to affirm the work that we've been doing and our thinking about this area. You know, and that's one of the reasons why we started this project is that there's a need for more dialogue and, and not scaring people off. And I think they did a good job of not scaring people off in this episode, although I think that um, a lot of the families who were involved in the creation of the episode had their eyes open. And I know from social media, uh, some of my friends who watched this episode also kind of had aha moments. So let's just talk for a little bit um, about what we saw in the episode. So it starts with piece of research that says that adults spend 49 days on average looking at their mobile screen. So it's 49 days a year. That's 1.5 months out of the year that adults are spending looking at their mobile screens. And so what does that mean in, in this large world? And they they visit a family in the Midwest and this family lets them bring cameras into the home, which let's talk about screens in the home right there, but they bring cameras into the home for a weekend. I think they were there for about 30 hours. And they, they start by showing videos of what the family used to do together before screens. And, and the mom is really lamenting how they don't have this family time anymore. And a little bit later in this segment, we actually see the mom saying, I 
just want everyone to be in the same room on their screens because it feels good when we're close together. Uh, so the, the producers watch them for a weekend. Um, there's a 12-year-old boy who is playing Fortnite during this time. Um, and they start with him and they're interviewing him while he's on the video game. And you can just kind of see his attention shifting from the interview to the game. And then all of a sudden he just stops talking. I wondered if that touched you at all because you have talked about your own son and video games. And, and if you kind of said, oh, I wonder what's going on with my own kid. Absolutely. Two points, two quick points. There were, point, there were parts of the video uh, of the, the reporting series where they were a bit cringeworthy. And that was one of them. And, and I'm wondering, is that something that we need? Do we need to see the reality and be shocked into, is this really happening? Uncomfortable. We need to be uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are times that we definitely do need to be uncomfortable. I think that we need to be uncomfortable in order to learn. The other one is, um, how do we speak to ourselves? How do we speak to others? How do we teach and, and have this dialogue without shaming? They kept talking about the topic of shaming throughout it. In terms of the, the, the child that was playing Fortnite, absolutely, they, that touched the nerve. It's kind of funny because I started watching it, then I went to go pick up the kids, and then I came back, I was cooking dinner, and I had the kids playing in the kitchen area and helping cook while that was on. And so that scene came on, and I was watching the the child in the episode feeling a bit cringy you know at what was happening but then also looking at my son and i wanted to just sit with him and say what do you think about that like what's going on there but i've absolutely i felt myself in that moment i felt it was very weird you know sitting in the the room where the mother is basically like i just want you all here even though you are like zombies staring at your screen you know, I, I've had that moment in my house. I've had that moment where family members come over and you're before a meal or after a meal and everyone's sitting there staring at their screens and you're, you basically have to like stop and look around and it's like, why are we here? Like, what, what's going on? Are we paying attention? So, but the, the challenge for me is, yes, that's happening, but what do we do about that? Right. Well, and they do mention that the this family had limits in the past, but the mom had kind of given up on setting limits because everything kept, all those rules kept getting broken. And, you know, she's got her teenage daughter saying, well, I wouldn't have friends if it weren't for Snapchat or Instagram, which I also found interesting because, of, and the dad says, are they really your friends? But of course you'll have friends without Snapchat or Instagram, but I understand the pull that teenagers feel nowadays to be in that moment on those devices. Mm -hmm. And then dad even calls mom out on it. And he said, when, well, 20 years ago, when we first got married, it was me and her, and now it's me and her and her 3000 Facebook friends, which can be kind of distracting. So we as adults are also on our devices. Uh, I guess uh, ABC, News sat down with them, these 30 hours of recording that they did, they identified that the 12-year-old boy was on screens for 12 hours, the 15-year-old boy was on screens for 14 hours, the teenage girl was on screens for 12.5 hours, and they were all a little bit shocked at how many hours they were actually on screens. But even mom and dad, who recognized that there is a problem here, each spent individually five hours on social media alone. And that doesn't even count the jobs that they, you know, they might've been doing over the weekend. So it seems to me like this was a typical family, right? That this family is kind of representative of, of what a lot of us are facing. 
Yeah, it seems to me like they were pretty normal. Granted, normal in a, you know, in a, in a U.S. very affluent context. I mean, I know there's a lot of people and groups globally that don't have those decisions or choices to make. But I think that for the most part, they are quote unquote normal. I see a lot of it in my house and in, in friends and families, uh, you know, in, in their houses as well. You know, I do have questions about the the dialogue the father had with the child about are they really your friends or not? We know that there's a lot of literature and research around affinity spaces and hanging out and messing around and, and socializing with other people online that you don't see face to face. So I, I, I had questions about that, but I think that it's a pretty normal family. I think that the hours spent, you know, we, they should give us pause. They should give us concern. Um, but then I also wonder, is that part of where our society is going, that our attention is spent a certain percentage is face to face and in the quote unquote real world. And then a certain percentage of our lives are spent with that screens as a, as a window into another space. Um, I'm wondering a decade from now, when we look back, will this look normal or will this be, you know, a, a, a warning that we should have heeded? Yeah. And they do mention throughout the episode that research is still in its infancy. And this is something you and I also kind of put out there for everyone to think about that. We don't know the answers to these, um, a little bit later in the episode, uh, some tech company, and uh, actually I think it's the president of Common Sense Media, which we've mentioned in an earlier episode for our season of Techno Panic, is saying that companies need to be held accountable to what they're doing, kind of like we hold alcohol and tobacco companies accountable for the potential dangers of their products tech companies should also be held accountable for the potential dangers. And research is trying to kind of uncover what is dangerous, what are the affordances, where are these things good, where do we need to be okay with them? And that's what segment two actually does. Um, they talk with two researchers, Kathy hirsch Pasek, who's the director of the Temple University Infant Language Lab, and Tracy dennis Tyway. I can't read my handwriting there, <laughs> um, who's professor of psychology at Hunter College. Um, so these two researchers are looking at the impact of screens on babies and on brains, on research in their development and the things we don't yet know, but also on the interactions between adults and children surrounding devices. So they help ABC set up a kind of a mini experiment where they ask parents with young children to be in a room with them and then for two minutes to completely ignore their children and stay focused on their device screen. For most of the parents, this is uncomfortable and hard uh, to just stay focused for two minutes on the device. But we are able to see what happens with the children when a parent or caregiver completely ignores them in favor of the device. Um, so did you notice what was going on with any of the children in that little mini experiment? It was heartbreaking. As a parent, it was heartbreaking. You know, I, I can only imagine what I would be doing and feeling in that moment. It also makes me think once again about my relationship with my child. I've always stated that I've never wanted to have my device be uh, an intermediary with discussions. I don't want my child to look through my phone to get to my gaze. I tried to pay attention to that. But then at the same time, I was thinking about uh, many years ago. So Jax is about to turn nine 
He was about six months old, eight months old. I was presenting at NCTE and I had a, a recording where Jax was a little baby. He's just sitting up. So whatever age that is. So he's just sitting up, he's in his onesie and we have an old iPhone that I showed in the NCTE presentation. My son had learned how to, he was tapping the screen with, with his thumb and then he learned how to like click it and then slide his thumb to unlock the iPhone. So that tells you how long, how old that phone is. So he slid the phone to unlock it. And then he, he basically with two or three other taps could play music. So we have a video of him playing with it and smiling and showing off. Cause he knew how to like unlock the phone and play a song. And I use that as an intro to show, look, this is how digitally literate our children are. And I was very excited. It tugged at the heartstrings of all the educators at the presentation. But now I, I look back at that presentation and I realize how naive I was in that moment. And I mean, I think that's, that's part of what leads you and I to this need for discussion and providing like common sense discussions about these areas is because we're still learning. And so it was that video where I look back and I said, oh goodness, <laughs> what was I doing? I was so excited in that moment, maybe I should not have been. Right, and what we don't see perhaps is Jack's doing what some of the children in this special were doing. So we would see a child crawling up on their parent's lap, trying to get between the parent and the phone one of the children started admonishing mom mommy you're not listening to me mommy let's go do something else and and was really verbally trying to convince his parents to to put down the phone and pay attention to him and do something with him there was one little girl i think this was the one that broke my heart more than anything she just sat in a chair kind of saying Absolutely. i know mom's not available so i'm just going to sit here and wait for her to become available to me again um so there was a, a lot of different responses of the children of varying ages in this mini experiment all of them were very clearly the child wanting or seeking the parents attention and not getting it mm -hmm. and kind of the big message that the researchers uh, that were being interviewed here said is that we are actually designed to learn through human interaction. That's how humans learn through back and forth, through give and take. But we do a lot in this technological digital age to take the human out of learning and the human out of interacting. Uh, and whether that's handing a device to a child to serve as a babysitter, we did see some parents being interviewed saying, I'm a single mom. I just need this help. You know, this is my help. This is my babysitter. This gives me the time I need to do what I do. And, and there is no guilt or shame in that. It just is. It's how we're using devices nowadays. And we do need to think about the implications of that. I was pretty interested in listening to the parents who were participating in this mini experiment kind of say at the end, oh my goodness, this has opened my eyes. And you and I have talked before about mindfulness and um, kind of just being aware of your own practices and how just that awareness can actually help change what you're doing. So I'd be curious to see if these parents actually do change the practices and if those of us watching it are more mindful or whether it's just kind of in our brains and out. So it'll be interesting to see how you and I do with this. I agree. I think another piece of that segment that I really enjoyed was the, the child that was asking to sit down and read a real book with the parent. Um, I made sure last night 
Brady came in and she was like, Hey, I want to read. And she had like a ABC, you know, book and she sat down and I said, of course, of course, let's read. Um, you know, we, we make it a habit uh, to, to spend time at the end of the day reading together as a family. But it also reminds me of, I'm reading right now, the Charles Duhigg, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name, his book about habits and how a lot of our life we assume is just because this is the way that it is, but really it's small habits and small decisions that we make. So I've been trying to focus more on those habits and saying, okay, the habit of walking in the door, am I immediately, you know, or leaving the house? Am I putting my cell phone in my pocket on the way out? When I come in the house, can I have a habit where I plug it in and leave it there? You know, I have a habit where I leave, I don't carry my car keys around the house with me. Can I have a habit where I plug in my cell phone and I leave it there by the front door and I don't touch until I need to leave the house? Can that be a habit that I, that I follow? So it's interesting you bring up habits because in the next segment of the ABC special, they actually say it's easier to make a habit than to break one. So you're talking about making a new habit, but in order to make that new habit, you have to break kind of this old habit of carrying your cell phone around. In that segment, they talked about how in 2007, the iPhone is born. So that kind of changed our technology access. And we're now carrying technology in our pocket that allows us to do things that we prior to that, we needed a bunch of devices or a device that was tethered to the internet in some way. But 2012, and I hadn't actually thought about this, 2012 was another turning point and they called it the app revolution. So that's when we start getting all the apps on our phone. And the goal of apps is to keep you engaged in them. So app developers are in some ways intentionally manipulating your attention. And attention is finite. They talk about this in the segment too. So if your attention is not with the app, then it's somewhere else. And if it's somewhere else, it's not with the app. And we talked in the video game episode of Technopanic a few episodes ago about uh, video game developers and how their goal is to engage you as well. And so this segment actually points out several techniques that apps and perhaps video games are using to keep us engaged. One of those techniques is notifications. Um, I know that I have been much more hesitant to click yes, I accept notifications to be on when I join an app because I do notice that I'm getting constant dings or constant um, flashes on my screen because of notifications. The, also the idea that there's, there's no stopping point. So as you're scrolling, think about a social media feed, it just keeps going and there's nothing to stop you. Um, there's no moment that says, okay, it's time to stop now, take a break and go do something else. They also uh, take away pieces of us. So every second that we are on an app, they are collecting information. And it's not even just the personal information that we might input or agree to in a privacy statement, which we also talked about in an earlier episode, but it's also pausing and how you scroll. And as you're scrolling, if you kind of um, stop for a second or even pause, the app is registering that moment um, and saying, ooh, Kristen might be interested in this, so I'm going to give her more of that. And then the, the pop-up discounts, uh, 
particularly on websites. So they, they say, oh, it looks like they're leaving. So they pop up and give you a discount or something to keep you staying on that website or in that app. And then finally, uh, the inability to delete accounts. They actually walk you through how to delete an Amazon account, which was an interesting process. I remember having the same trouble when I tried to delete my MySpace account. It's just really hard to get away from one of these apps or companies once you commit to them, even if it's just a small commitment. Um, they end this episode or this segment uh, talking about how tech, tech executives actually are very tech light. Um, I found it interesting. I don't remember which uh, tech executive it is. It might have been Google, who's yeah, 11. Yeah, 11 year old son does not have a phone. And I was like, great, my 11 year old kids are not the only ones without a phone. <laughs> um, because we have definitely been been holding off on giving them those individual communication devices. Um, so being tech late is something that we are in our family. But it's also helpful to understand kind of these reasons why my kids aren't ready because they don't understand these techniques that are being used to keep them engaged. I mean, I barely understand them as an adult. Well, one of the challenges is that we need to acknowledge that these apps, you know, I, it, there was a piece I read over the summer that basically talked about the fact that, you know, when the iPhone was just announced, the iPhone, Steve Jobs was indicated that this would be revolutionary because of the touchscreen would enable you to go through your contact list and quickly find someone to call and just tap, tap. Within two taps, you could call somebody as opposed to having to bang out their whole, all the digits. Um, the app store came much later. The app store, Steve Jobs and others didn't think would have a real place. And, and Facebook, one of, the, one of the first apps, one of the apps that consumes most of our time, Facebook is basically, uh, they thought of it as a way to just stay in touch, you know, and to stalk people that you knew in college um, after the fact. And now it's this social space where we all hang out. But the, the truth of the matter is that we need to acknowledge the fact that these spaces, these apps, these tools are developed by a, a teams of brilliant people that have a lot of money behind it. And the, the amount of money and the focus and the attention is sucking up your, your attention. It is making sure that you stay in that space. So even if you scroll up and you your finger stops for a second and dips back, they're tracking all that and they're aggregating that. And the, the machines are learning over not just you, but hundreds of people, thousands of people that, that are just like you. So it's acknowledging the fact that their mission is to keep you there in that space. So they're going to do it as easy as it is as possible for you to stay there. They're going to keep you as happy as possible and they're going to make it near impossible for you to leave. So it's once you acknowledge that, once you acknowledge the fact that they are there to basically pacify you, then, then you can make other decisions. Yeah, a little bit later in the episode, they interview the CEO, the current CEO of Apple, Tim Cook, um, and he actually said something I found fascinating. He said, I want you to buy the iPhone, but I actually don't want you to use it all that much. Yeah. <laughs> so, the original intent of the iPhone, as you said, was to make things a little bit easier. There are a lot of affordances. The positives of all of this technology in our life, he says, are overwhelming. But we deserve the best and our privacy, too. Mm -hmm. So he, he actually is kind of pushing back a little bit on, on the apps and the developers. I think it's a good mission, right? We deserve the best and we deserve our privacy. 
And he's calling for better laws on that because he says privacy is in crisis right now. Agreed. And the thing is that the Snapchat response was pretty typical. The Snapchat response is the same response you're going to get from Facebook and others, which is, oh, it's not that bad. We strive for user experience and we're going to try and do a better job. That doesn't mean anything. The challenge is that if you look at Snapchat as an example, we have a lot of friends, a lot of adults, a lot of kids spend a lot of time scrolling through and messaging through Snapchat and other tools, but Snapchat in particular, and their time is sucked up. So if Snapchat changes their, their interface, people complain. If they make it easier, people get excited or, hey, there's a new filter. My life is different now. My life is more complete because I have this new Snapchat filter. So we have to ask these questions about what is the role of the company and are they really looking out for our best interest? So one of the other things that the episode deals with are devices in schools. Um, I, Of course, this is something that you and I care about deeply because there is, first of all, digital access issues. So sometimes personal devices are the only technological tools that kids can have in schools to learn with and through. Um, but then sometimes they're not. Sometimes they become distractions in schools, particularly in schools that do have one-to-one -one access where kids have other devices that they can use for learning. The personal devices then become distractions. So um, some of the um, remedies that schools have been coming up with according to the episode, are um, things like phone homes. And I've seen these where we buy the, the shoe trees that you would normally hang on the back of your closet door to put your shoes in. They become phone pockets. And actually, companies have now created these just for hanging phones in classrooms. One school showed a lockbox, which is a box so that the student can actually keep the phone on themselves, but they put it in this sleeve sort of that then locks um, and can only be unlocked when they go out of the room. My question there was, okay, well, it's not okay to have them in the classroom for distraction purposes, but it is okay to have them in the halls. <laughs> so another school actually said, no, it's not okay. We're going to ban personal phones entirely. Now, this is a school that does have one-to-one -one access through laptops. So students do have another device and they basically said, we don't need these personal devices in school because you all have access to the things that you need in order to learn through these other devices. I really, really liked this one idea that an administrator said, you know, we, we give classes to teenagers on things like alcohol use. We give them information and instruction on how to drive. Maybe what we need now is a class on technological well-being and what that means. So those are just some of the ideas that schools are coming up with. Thoughts? I think that the little cubbies and the holders for the devices, I know that there's going to be a lot of hate towards this, but I think it's ridiculous. I see the need. I think it's kind of ridiculous to say, okay, we're going to uh, save it over here in this little cubby. We're going to lock it up with a special key and it'll be there. I am wholeheartedly in, in support of the focus or the, the instruction or the dialogue with students about, and that's one of the common threads we've had in these episodes is talk to your children about these spaces and what they want. So I agree with the need to focus and say, okay, let's talk about digital well-being. We talk about health and wellness and well-being elsewhere in our schools. We need to spend more time talking about mental health in addition to uh, substances. But I think that there is a need to fold in some sort of digital wellness pedagogy into what we do. So that I'm fully in support of. 
Yeah, and then actually the next segment right after this school one was on selfie culture and some of the data that they presented in that segment showed that there's a rise in clinic visits, a rise in anxiety just after you post a selfie, you actually get more anxious and hoping that people are going to like it or, or give you comment. There's this sense of helplessness that can lead to hopelessness, which can lead into an abyss. And a lot of this is, is about the selfie culture. And so I think if we're talking with kids about digital well-being, we have to talk about those kinds of things and, and how their own anxiety and well-being may very well be tied to what they are doing in these apps or in these social media spaces or online in general. As a researcher, I saw a potential opening activity for my intro to ed tech course uh, in the upcoming semesters to talk a little bit more about selfie culture and what my, my students are doing as they look at these devices. Right. Well, you could also give them the anecdote um, about the dogs. Do you have pets? Absolutely. And have you noticed what they noticed there, that pets get info from the gaze of humans and that when pets, when you are on your phone, your pet will actually try to get you off your phone? I don't have pets, so this was kind of unique to me. Does that ever happen for you? Yes. We have a dog. Uh, we have a, a pit bull lab mix, a rescue, uh, Marty. Marty is very in tune to eye gazes. Uh, and, you know, different pets that we've had throughout the years, they are de they're definitely in tune to the devices and looking at you in the eye um, to know, are you friend or foe? And when you're sort of not really paying attention and you're distant, they do get unnerved. It would be, it would be interesting to start training animals to sort of, since we can't behave and we can't deal with these devices and spaces, maybe train my dog to bark at myself or bark at my wife when we're on Facebook too long. Oh, you let me know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new research study, I think. It's probably easier to train the animal to train me than it is just to train me. Right. Well, perhaps another option would be this idea of creating a modern village. Uh, so they, they explored this group, I guess it's S-T-A-R-T, um, and it's a modern village that's intended to help parents who are parenting the first generation. So we are the first generation of parents parenting the first generation of kids who have had access to these devices their entire lives, and particularly teenagers right now. Um, and Start is a sticker that these parents get for their phone to, to let uh, other parents know that they are part of this village and that you can talk with each other. They host things like screen-free screen parties. They have screen-free cars. They are taking a stand for you and for kids. And basically, it's, it's, a, it's a support group, right? So you really need to set family values when your kids are young. But even if you didn't, that doesn't mean you can't recover from that or if you make mistakes, you can't recover. It's kind of like if you're on a, a diet and you decide to eat the donut, that's not the end of everything, right? Like it's a little hiccup in the diet, but you can certainly recover from that. Um, so they recommend having conversations at home. And again, we've recommended repeatedly on this podcast that it's really about communicating with your kids and communicating as a family. So asking questions like, how much time would you like to spend on your phone? and then kind of setting the limits based on how much time would you like to spend and having the kids involved in that. They recommended doing something like having a family schedule where you actually put social media time on your calendar. 
so that it's not a constant thing. Uh, I think somewhere uh, they said that adults pick up their phones something like 40 times a day. Do you remember the exact number? I don't know the specific, the specific number that they had there. I, I'm still stuck by the parents at the beginning of the whole episode that had the five hours um, that they spent in the short amount of time. Yeah, it's 80 times. I just found the number. 80, 80 times, times a day, we pick up the phone and unlock it to, to look at it. So what if, and most of that time, let's face it, we're either checking email or checking a social media account. So what if we just said, we have social media time and we get to spend an hour or whatever time you can allot to that on social media, but that's the only time that we're spending on it. But basically we need a community of people to help us through this right now. And we need people that we need to talk with. And so um, this organization is a community of people that's, that's trying to work through it. And it's, it now is very telling when you, when you make a decision to walk down the street, you know, I'm on a college campus when you walk down the street or walk down the hallways in your building and you are not on your device and you're looking up, you stick out like a sore thumb, a sore thumb. When you walk through a town, when you walk down the street and there's vehicles 10, if that two feet from you, if you are not looking at your device and you're looking at other people, you really stick out. So too, when you make a pronouncement before an event, don't use your devices. You know, when you start class and you say, put your devices away or you sit there at dinner and in my, in my house, it, no, we don't want devices at the table. There's nothing more important than what's happening right here. If you have a friend or a family member come over and they're pulling it out and scrolling through, okay, can you put that down or go to someplace else where that's more important than what we're doing here? And just stating that it really sticks out. So maybe it's being more intentional and, and also feeling more comfortable with each of us being more intentional about, hey, let's have some of these times where we don't need to be constantly tethered to that notification drip. Right. One of the researchers in that segment said that she spoke with or she heard a child say to their parent, I need you to listen with your whole face. And I just love that. Right. Look at me. Talk to me. Engage with me. It takes me back to the beginning of the episode where that um, young man was playing Fortnite. He wasn't listening to the or even communicating with his whole face to the interviewer. He was more so on the video game. So. I want you to listen to me with your whole face, I, I think is a, something I might adopt in my own house, actually. We need t-shirts. <laughs> That's good to go with our techno panic. Um, okay, so, I mean, they talked throughout the episode about other things that we've mentioned about privacy. Uh, a fun fact, they said it would take 244 hours to read all the agreements that we agree to over the course of a year. Um, and you and I have talked in another episode about all of those privacy agreements. Um, 244 hours seems like a lot of time, which is why I still haven't read one, even though I committed to doing the next one that I agree to. They talked about how even without your knowing, Google or some of the other companies are probably tracking your searches, trapping, tracking your map location history. You do want to check and see what you have enabled and what you don't in your settings. I thought I had disabled location for Google Maps, so I went in and checked and the location was off, but my search in YouTube was still on. So um, I turned those off, you know, again, I don't wanna be necessarily tracked all the time uh, with these things. So definitely as a user, you wanna pay attention to that. I also found it interesting that if you pay by credit card, you are being tracked and that Europe 
gives customers much more control than the U.S. does over, over data, which I think is why Tim Cook and some of the other um, exec, execs that were interviewed are saying we need better privacy laws in the United States. So they come around to the end. One other fun fact, they did this uh, mini experiment with um, people who are being interviewed and those who brought phones into the interview were basically looked at by the recruiters who were interviewing them as less trustworthy, less competent, just by even having the phone on the table. If the phone went off, forget it. You were very untrustworthy and very incompetent. So it's kind of clear from, from this episode that these devices are influencing us. They influence how we respond to other people. Uh, and we really do need to, to think about how we're using them and how we're raising our children with them. Quick question for you on that. And I've struggled with this over the past. You and I are both pretty tech savvy individuals. If you were to go to an interview, let's say you were, go, you were going to interview for a job or you're there to interview a research subject or someone that you really want them to know how important this is to them. Do you, bring your laptop and have that out in front of you? Do you bring your cell phone and put it down on the table? How present is tech or do you have like a Moleskine notebook or do you have nothing? Do you, do you have your devices out there or are there are no screens in that environment? So I, um, when I'm interviewing someone for a research study and I need to audio record them, of course my device is out because it's audio recording, but it's acting like a tape recorder, not like a phone in that situation. And I make sure that I actually uh, put it on airplane mode so that no notifications or anything come in. But aside from that, I take a lot of notes handwritten. Um, and whenever I'm interviewing, I'm actually going through an interview process where I'm interviewing a lot of people now. We start our interviews on Zoom digitally, and I still take notes by hand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm not typing on a keyboard. I'm not using a device. I do notice that I tend to look down, of course, when I'm writing. And for some reason, I feel like that's less intrusive than if I looked down and were typing or on a phone. But I just prefer to use the pen and paper. And I think it's because, first of all, I can sometimes do it quicker, make notes or drawings or something a little bit more quickly. But also there is a culture of the device is distracting. And I want that person to know that they have my full attention. How about you? I'm the same way. I think that there is, as a technology person, most, you know, many colleagues say, well, you can get away with it. But then I wonder, it's, it's that those social settings, what's appropriate, what's not, does the other person trust you or not because of the device that's there? Um, I feel like I, it may just be anecdotal, but I feel like I pay a little bit more attention as you referenced, if I'm looking down and writing things down. But, you know, I've, I've, I have thought a lot about bringing these devices into those sort of environments and listening to someone with your whole face. And now I'm, I'm rethinking uh, those decisions. Yeah, I will say though, that if I'm in an academic or a learning situation at a conference or something like that, I am 100% doing it on and through my device. I'm taking notes on a Google doc or I'm tweeting or, or something that helps me to process the information. Um, so I'm probably not listening with my whole face, but my ears are definitely going and my brain is too. Absolutely. So I, I do think there's a little bit of code switching here. So who are we with? Where are we in any given situation and what is appropriate for that situation um, may be different. I think we're still figuring out the norms and rules of those things. But yes, I do, I do find it valuable to put the devices away, particularly when I'm in a one-on-one -on -one or a small group setting. 
But I think it's still, I mean, that ABC special made me think about when your child is trying to get your attention or when you're sitting and you have friends over for dinner and drinks and they're talking to you. If I'm sitting there staring at my device or one thing I've seen at my house is one person staring at a device and another staring at a device and then they're showing each other what's on their devices. And then I'm wondering like, why are we here? <laughs> so. Yeah, and they kind of end this um, special going back to that family at the beginning, kind of seeing how it's going. There, it's still a work in process. Um, thinking about how we can do family adventures or how we can connect better with family. The answer is not to deprive screens, right? Screens are good. There are good things that can happen. We can connect, we can learn, um, we can be more efficient. We can also uh, run into problems with screens where we are not connecting with the people who are in our physical space. So let's think about connections in both ways. So connecting through screens to others who are not in our physical space, but then also putting those screens away so that we can connect with the people who are in our physical space. That was kind of my big takeaway. I love the ending where they were talking about the family that test drove. Well, what if we just use social media to be social with each other? as a way to play. I really like that. And I'm thinking about that being a focus in our house. Cause I've talked in the past about Jack's using hangouts and texting with, with his mother and myself, my family tries to play with like Snapchat, but then I wonder, is it a slippery slope where once again, we're back in these behaviors. Um, so that's, that's when we hear about people trying to go like cold Turkey and like really cut things off. So it's something I'm going to think about and maybe play with, over the, the summer? Well, I think that we digested a lot. We have a lot to keep us thinking um, going into the summer. We will have one more episode before we take a, a summer reboot for Techno Panic, and that episode's gonna focus on what we might be doing over the summer and how we might do a little digital detox in our own homes. And we hope you'll join us for that final episode in season one. Absolutely, thanks again. Bye. Thanks for listening. Now I can get back to my social media. Take the pellet.